The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2 and verse 14. I wonder, could this be why so many Christians neither perceive nor grasp the work of the Holy Spirit? Could this be why, on the other hand, the Pentecostal and holiness movement of the late 19th and early 20th century compelled believers to outward signs, tongue speaking, and any outward manifestation of the Spirit, a proof that God was at work? Because they could not see the things that were discernible only to those of the Spirit. For many professed Christians, the work of the Holy Spirit is a total mystery, and so he's pushed aside for some clearer doctrinal position to ponder, like baptism. For others, the Spirit's work is trivialized to subjective impulses, random incidents, grumblings of the stomach, and the babbling of the tongue. For these, every subjective moment is a divine mystery to be parsed, to be decoded, to be interpreted. The grand work of the Holy Spirit of God is either missed altogether by those who are blind, who know their Bibles backwards and forwards, but do not know its author, or the eternally significant workings of the Spirit are rendered down to silly things. Why this hangnail is here, or why my stomach felt a butterfly in the afternoon stroll, or why that political lecture raised the hair on my neck. What could God be saying? Surely he's saying something. Every little moment is something, and then everything the Spirit actually does is, or is doing, is and becomes irrelevant to them. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In this week's episode of Who Let the Dogma Out, we will look to the scriptures to better grasp the work of God, particularly in his Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, whose work is grander and more significant than maybe we've ever allowed. Welcome once again to Who Let the Dogma Out? where doctrine has dominion over all of life. I'm Daniel, joined by Titus Anderson and Jack Wilkie. And uh, we're glad to be back for uh, another episode. How are you guys doing? I'm alive. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think some of us are more alive than others. I think Jack's right in the throes of uh, doing some 
new home renovation, which is really fun. But uh, he's he we're, we're going to bring up the pet this episode that we keep him awake. Yeah, this how, big coffee what, is going to kick in about twenty minutes into the episode, and then I'll be I'll be ready to go. So I was going to ask, how do you sur- what do you do to survive? Is it is it a a good fifty fifty between Holy Spirit and coffee? Or that is you know what? I, I don't want to put a, a percentage on the Holy Spirit. So uh, <laughs> there we are, what, you know, buzzing that uh, that heresy uh, line again. But uh, I don't Maybe know. Maybe it's hundred uh, percent coffee helps a lot, and hundred percent coffee. Let's go with that. This, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, all I'm right. gonna buy you one of the. I'm gonna buy you one of those shirts that says a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of G's. And a whole lot of G's. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. The Put Instagram in moms. Store. For sure. Uh, all right. So it is Holy Spirit Week. Following up on last week. So yes, it is. Get us into it. Uh, yeah. Okay. So first of all, before we do, I wanted to touch on something briefly. Titus, Jack, and I kind of bounced around an idea last week. I I had initiated it. And I want to put a point of clarity on it. I don't think I was that clear um, related to, you know, this element of hierarchy that you see within scripture that that relates to father, son, spirit. First of all, in uh, Matthew 28, you know, this is the name of the father, the son and the Holy Spirit. A lot of times in Greek, when a name when names are listed, it's it's giving some order of um, of um, hierarchy or whatever. I went back and I actually looked at a number of scriptures where those three are they're like all they're used completely interchangeably. Sometimes the spirits mentioned first, then Jesus, then God. And there's uh there's three or four scriptures, one in revelation um, there's over in Corinthians. And so there's no credence uh, to, to that at all. Um, but I want to give clarity to what I was saying. And I think what Titus was saying in the way these two uh, come together within scripture, there's very clearly not as one author put it in ontological hierarchy or, um, uh, you know, there's no essential difference at all in that one outranks the other um, ontologically, but there is somewhat of an economic um, hierarchy. And that is, it comes out in what God does as opposed to what God is. The the essence is the same between all of them. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons uh, in the Godhead and, um, uh, they're they're the same in substance and uh, glory and power, uh, Father, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit. Uh, but there is an economic difference. One of them goes, and the other two are sending the one that goes. And you you do see that being borne out. And so I want to make clear that this is not a, at all an essential difference, uh, but something that just uh, kind of works itself out practically. One of them had to go. They couldn't all three go. And this is uh, in their mind, which goes back to eternity. They decided this is. This is how it's going to be. So I, I wanted to start with that. Did you guys want to add anything before we move on to the actual lesson or episode today? Sounds good. Okay. Uh, sounds about right. Appreciate it. Sweet. Okay. So getting into uh, the Holy Spirit, um, the this is one of those subjects that when I was growing up, this, I just... I couldn't grasp it. I mean, I, I just had no idea. I mean, even until, um, you know, probably a while into my ministry before I really dug into it, for whatever reason, this to me was um, m- a mystery. It's like, what does he do? What does the Holy Spirit do? How does he relate? How does he work? You know, how's he involved in my life? How far can you go with it? And um, the, the the thing that strikes me, though, is that the scriptures 
like this is one of those subjects that that I think is actually exceedingly uh, clear. It, there's an a, there's an abundance of information about what he does, and we're we're going to look at that today. Um, letting the scriptures speak simply, uh, uh, and we're and we're just going to receive what they say. But kind of a leading off point, and then I'll let you guys um, make a comment that. A lot of times in discussions, you'll hear people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. You know, what does you'll you'll hear them say, well, what does it do? And maybe this is because the Greek word spirit, it, spirit is is a neuter. Um, you know, with within Greek, there's there's um gender, um, d- just like in Spanish and Latin and whatever else. There's there's it's gender sensitive and the word spirit itself is neuter even though whenever whenever there's a pronoun he's referred to in in the masculine but what i'm getting at is uh, we don't want to refer to him as an it because he's he's not in this impersonal nebulous force he he is a a personality he and and we're going to see hopefully through these scriptures he's doing things he's he he labors he works he thinks he convicts it isn't an impersonal. Um, the spirit is is a he and is a person. And and as we looked at last week, he is the third member of the Godhead. He is a part of the eternal God. And so <clears throat> when we speak of him, we need, need to know he's a person. He's a he. And uh, um, well, I'll, I'll let you guys uh, chime in if you have anything to add to that. Well, when I was younger, there was uh, an analogy that was initially helpful to me. And as, as I've gotten older and studied more, I, I find it maybe not to be as helpful as I thought. We all know that the spirit, I think the most common thing that you'll hear talked about is the fact that the spirit inspired the writers of the Bible to um, write the things that they did, to prophesy, to preach, to collect the the writings into a, you know, a, a text that we would hold in perpetuity and, and be greatly blessed by. Um, and so when I heard someone talk about that, they said, well, it's just like you're looking at a photograph or looking at a, at a painting. Um, you know, with a photograph, there's a person behind the camera that's really, you know, causing all of this to kind of come together. They're framing their shot. They're, they're you know, composing it. Um, but you don't see them in the picture, but they're, they're integrally, if I can get that word out involved with the creation of it. And and so again, I would think of like Steven Spielberg, you know, uh, Steven Spielberg does not appear in the movie Jaws or E.T. or Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, but he's all over it. You know, he, he's all over. You can, I mean, his movies stand out. That works until you read the Bible and realize, wow, imagine if Steven Spielberg was was like a recurring character in all of those movies because the spirit is talked about at great length. Shyamalan. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, again, he he's constantly referenced. The New Testament is is full of the spirit. And it, it brings up that interesting question that, you know, that we're going to get to in today's episode. Why don't we talk about him? If he's prominently featured there, what is uh what has kept us from talking about him? But I'll let Jack chime in if he has something to to add. Yeah, it's it's the concept that's so hard a father that's that's pretty relatable concept that's pretty easy to get our minds around jesus of course he came and walked among us and we've got the four gospels that record that that's that's very easy we don't deal you know uh, the father-son relationship that is a concept we can get our minds around we don't deal with spirits uh, because the other thing is as a culture we are very non-spiritual people say they're spiritual but we're very scientific we're very naturalistic grounded in you know the things we can the five senses and things like that and I think this is something that's probably a little easier for Eastern cultures to get their minds around of a spirit being a, a, a being itself himself. Um, 
as, as a, a living entity, as an individual, as a personality and, and all of those things, rather than just like, I, I mean, like Wi-Fi, you know, like there, there's a force there that we can't see. And so we kind of want to relate it to something like that, that we can't, but it, no, I mean, again, I think this is something other cultures are so much better geared to get their minds around than we are. And, and so that adds yeah. to this confusion that it is a, he and a being and a personality in himself. I, I, yeah. I keep saying it, I don't mean to say it. It's, it's just <laughs> the way we talk. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, kind of how I led off the introduction when Paul was speaking to the Corinthians, he said, spiritual things are spiritually discerned that the spirit is, you're not going to be able to get a handle on him in a natural sense. You can't see him. Of course, we can't see any of the God. God himself is spirit. And yet when you, when your senses are trained by constant practice to discern between good and evil, as the scriptures say that we ought to. And as, as you be, as you look more and more with spiritual eyes, like Paul was telling the Ephesians, father, you know, I pray that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that they may know the host of spiritual blessings that he just poured out in Ephesians chapter one that are there. And yet it's eyes of the heart that have to see it. If the physical eyes aren't going to see it same, same. And Jesus, when he's speaking to Nicodemus, Jesus is using this analogy of wind, which interestingly, the, the word for wind and the word for spirit within the Greek language, pneuma, is the same word. And it, it's like that. That's why we have such a hard time with it. You can't see it. And yet Jesus is saying, you ought to be able to see, you ought to be able to know, okay, I can't see it, but I know where it's coming from. And I, I can tell, I can perceive where it's going. I see the effects of it. And as we're trained and as we look to the scriptures, the picture becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. And what it does is it brings us into a greater state of worship and appreciation for the spirit himself. He's doing so much. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I, on our outline, we've got, I don't know, 15 or, uh, or so points of what he does. And this isn't anywhere near all of them. I mean, we're, we're just going to look at, at some of them today, but he does so much. And I hope that this, this episode is just kind of a launching point. Um, uh, for that, before we get into those particulars, um, I want to reiterate what we said last week. The Spirit is present throughout the whole Bible. Uh, he he doesn't. There's there's a particular way in which we experience him fuller and fuller and fuller than anybody else ever did. Joel Joel prophesied about this that in the latter days, you know, the Spirit of God would be poured out on on uh, on all flesh, Jew, Gentile, male, female. Peter says this was being fulfilled in Acts chapter two. And this promise, this gift that is the Holy Spirit is promised to everyone. This is not the way it was. In, in the Old Testament, the Spirit was working so much behind the scenes, but he was working particularly through the prophets. And, and he also was working in the creation. You see him there at the very beginning when the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And uh, he was convicting the world of sin through the prophets. Um, he He's always been there, but after Christ... It's like when God was making the world right again, the proximity of all of God got closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. We we we're, we have access into the throne room. We have, you know, Jesus, God became flesh. Emmanuel, God is with us. He drew near. We saw him. We beheld him, right? We looked on him. And, and now the same thing, the spirit of God comes down and he actually lives inside of us. 
And, and that point is brought out time and again in the New Testament. Really, really briefly, um, 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? The same thing in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. He says, um, uh, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? He's, he's speaking in the context of um, you know sexual purity. And uh, he says, um, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body, this is the physical body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So God is nearer. He's right here. He's never far. And uh, I want to use that kind of as our launching point going into this. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's it's interesting. A lot of our conceptions about the proximity of God go back to our childhood days where we're told, you know, in, in all good faith, well, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. He's everywhere all the time. That's true. But as we see first in the Old Testament, especially back in those days, uh, God's presence was was noted. It was notable. It was present in a different way in certain contexts. I mean, you can say God is everywhere and his influence is felt everywhere as he's sovereign over the earth. But as Israel walked around with the tabernacle with a pillar of fire over it every night, they understood the presence of God is here with us. Uh, when, when Moses completed the tabernacle and the, the spirit you know, filled the, t- the tabernacle, the presence of God, so much so that he couldn't even go into it. You know, he couldn't walk inside because of the overwhelming of it. And so, you know, I think right in hand with that, we think, well, you know, it's a shame. You know, Jesus had to leave the earth. He resurrected and then he went away. He went away so he could be close to all of us. He's always near. It's at the throne room of God through the spirit that Jesus can be near to all of us. And, um, you know, we're, we're, I don't think we're going to spend much of the episode kind of talking about this in a negative sense and some of the confusion around the way that the spirit dwells within us. But but one thing that I will say is I've heard the statement made. Well, the Bible says the spirit dwells within us. It also says Jesus dwells within us and the father dwells within us. Um I think if you look at scripture as a whole, Old Testament, New, you'll see that the spirit uh, is that which invites the presence of God uh, to be with us. You know, it's it's through him that we have this closeness. And I think, like you said, that the sending of the spirit uh, is what makes God the closest he's ever been to each and every one of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, to follow up on that, the temple theology throughout the Bible is why was there a temple? Why was there a tabernacle? So people could come to God. But even among that, you could only come so close. And then the high, the priest could come closer and the high priest could go in one day a year to be at the throne of God, the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, man, there's there's such a rabbit hole you could go down that we don't have time for with the Garden of Eden and the, the temple structures in the Bible and how God it was always setting up ways for man to come close to him, but there was such a distance and that you had to cleanse yourself and all those cleanliness laws. And, and when he comes to Mount Sinai and he's like, all right, you guys got three days, get ready, get yourselves clean for this. I'm, I'm going to come to you. And if you aren't clean, you can't come anywhere near or you'll die. And, and the sacrifices they had to offer just to get near to him where the spirit was going to be. And he, as you said, the spirit filling the tabernacle, we see the spirit fill the tab uh, the temple when Solomon dedicates it. And then we see in Ezekiel, you know, God leaving the temple saying, I'm out of here. I'm done with you guys. I'm, I'm going to Babylon. And, you know, and then Jesus comes God with us. And, and now we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That powerful, dynamic filling of the temple happens to every Christian. 
That's mm-hmm. such a big deal. And because Jesus cleansed us that we're perpetually clean, we don't have to abstain from shrimp and bacon to be clean enough to come before God. We, you know, you're, you're clean as is every day because of Jesus. So God can Thank live God within you. It's <laughs> such a cool concept. It's such a, an incredible way. He flipped the, mm-hmm. you get clean enough to come near to me, but you can't get that close to, all right, now you're perfectly clean. I'll go live inside of you and I'm going to be there the rest of your life. Uh, man, as with all this stuff, as we say, you know, frequently, it's got to drive you to worship and adoration and yeah. love. And, and it's incredible. Yeah. yeah and you need- I was going to, th- oh, I'm sorry. I was going to throw in, it's such a good answer too, for all the, ver- I mean, whether it's prayer, whether it's sanctification, all these things that we might just attribute to, well, it just kind of happens. It just, just works. I think we undersell the spirit in a lot that he facilitates these things as, as possible, but go ahead, Daniel. Well, that to, to, to truly appreciate it. Cause like like we've used the analogy does you know does fish know that he's wet you know do do we know how big of a deal it is that we have access directly into the presence of god by means of the holy spirit through the redemption that comes through jesus do we realize this and uh and this is why history and and the scriptures are written down for us so that we can see the full scheme of redemption you know you talk about when when the people of israel were encamped around and and there was all these barriers and all these things keeping them separate god was you know the camp was uh, far off from the the tent of meeting and all this distance was there if they wanted to you know even you know it was only the high priest who once a year got to go into this uh this holy place and and we we just through jesus we have access right into this and um the only way we're going to appreciate this is if we look at what all what was for most of history and compare that with with what we have. We are we are the most blessed of all people, and we can't be complacent about that. This this blessing of the Spirit is is monumental. That every day, the presence of God Himself is with me in a convicting, real, um, truly substantive way. So let's let's talk about um, some things that He does, um, which. Again, and and you guys feel free to throw anything else in that's not on the outline. But you, you know, Jesus, when he's promising them, and and they didn't fully understand it yet, when Jesus is speaking to them in John, um, and you know, John fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, he's he's getting ready to leave. He says, "Look, I'm going to send the Helper." That word alone says so much. He's he's helping. That's. He, well, what do you mean? Well, he's going to help in some way, which means you need assistance. It implies that you need assistance. It implies that there's going to be some kind of empowering. It implies that there's going to be aid to this walk that we're trying to do, this building of the kingdom, the establishment of it, and our journey uh, to God. He's he's going to be helping us. I want to add this point to that briefly on, on the helping where Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away. We think, man, if I just had Jesus right next to me, I could do so well. And he said, no, 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 no. It's going to get better. Right. Jesus didn't live inside of the bodies of, of these people. They they were with him. But now spirit's going to be in you in a really intimate way. We're going to bring it out in Romans 8. Uh, but it's 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 profound and it's amazing. But uh, yeah, he's he's helping. And that that point alone is significant because, you know, so many people, they think, if they believe in the bodily indwelling of, of the spirit, they just conceive of him just almost as just sitting there. Like he's just hanging out, but he's on the ground level 
doing real stuff that is helping us in eternally significant ways. That that can't be downplayed. I mean, this is really huge. And, and we'll get into some specifics in a moment. Or Titus, you want to take another one? No, well, no, I, sure. I, you know, as we we think about that, and we say, well, what does the Spirit do? You've already said He's a helper. He's He's with us. He's unifying us to Jesus and His His role. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that I think the the main one that we think about uh, is the fact that the Spirit's responsible for the words in our Bible. You know, uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed. The Spirit uh, breathed these words. And so, again, you know, when we think about that uh, in this episode, I think we want to. That's what we've all talked about. We don't want to just say, "Hey, that's not important." I think we want to push beyond just that, just saying, hey, the Spirit uh, kind of had this brief period where the Bible was being written. He wrote it for us, did a great job, put a stamp on it and said, uh, hey, now my work's done. I'm just going to hang out, see you guys in heaven. Um, I don't think that's what we're postulating. We want to move beyond that. Um, but we, we shouldn't undersell the fact that the Bible, when, when you read God's Word and you're awestruck, I mean, we talked a lot in the last episode about being just awestruck by the nature of God. I mean, I don't worship this leather-bound ESV, but I'm still awestruck when I read this book. I mean, the the, the things that you see in the Word, the Word of the Spirit, I mean, it's just, it, it does convict and cut uh, to the innermost person of our being. And so, you know, when we think of reasons to praise the Spirit or, or to um, be thankful for His work, we can't undersell the Word of God, you know, as as it's been given to us. That's the hinge on which all of these other things um, grow and have their have their source. And so as we're, we're tied back into that with the Word, um, you know, I, I'm just so thankful for this book. God could have delivered things in a lot of different ways. He could have left us a picture book, maybe, of of a thousand different pictures, you know, that, that would have, maybe we're supposed to intuit how this made us feel. But the fact that He gave us this word and that we have scholars like Daniel that can go into the Greek and, and get into just the minute details of, of words. And we see the importance of it. I think it, it shows um, the spirit on our side and that he, he's given us, you know, through, through his inspiration, this word. And I'm, I'm thankful for that every day. Well, and yeah. any great book you read, I mean, we could all throw out favorites, you know, of, of authors that have crafted incredible stories and you get to the end of their book and just go, wow what what an amazing story they just told and and when you get through the bible and you know again second peter 120 that men moved by the holy spirit spoke or you know wrote what they wrote that the bible is such a grand story and i don't mean in a fictional sense but in in a just uh, all of history has been crafted to give us this and, and to lead us to christ and the church and this age that we're in and, and the age to come and just this this beautiful thing we've been given that was the, that shows the personality behind it that shows, you know, that 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 there's praise worthiness of the author because of how great a story it is, how great the literature of the Bible is. We talk about you know, pretty frequently that the Bible is so deep and layered and and complex. And I mean, like there's in the same way a sunset displays God's power, the the word and the way it was written for us displays all of that. Yeah, I think that it's, it's fascinating how. Uh, I was thinking about this just yesterday, you know, David, when he's on the run from Absalom uh, and he leaves out of Jerusalem kind of again in defeat and he's, he's kind of trailing over the top of the Mount of Olives and he's weeping. He's in agony on top of the Mount of Olives because of his own sin, the sin that's led him here to do this. Um, 
And it, you just see the picture of Jesus who's weeping in agony over my sin and over your sin on the Mount of Olives. And you're like, man, the, the spirit could have just given us a very utilitarian rule book. Here's one, two, and three. But instead he gave us this piece of just of just life breathing literature that you go, wow, what a beautiful artist, what a beautiful brush that he painted sanctification and salvation uh, with vibrant colors. And, and the more you fall into it, you're just hungry. Like, give me more, give me more. I've got to see more. Right. And, and, you know, there, the, the theological liberal may believe in the spirit as as having inspired men to speak and to preach and and to have worked through the prophets, but they believe that there was some hang up in the actual writing of it and the transmission of it. And uh, the, you know the important point is in those in second in the second Peter passage and the second Timothy passage that are speaking about the actual production of the scriptures. You know he uses the word the Greek word graphi, you know from which we get autograph or you know any anywhere anywhere you see the word graph it means it literally means writing it's like a scribbling and you know second timothy 316 pasa every scripture is god spirited the the actual writing of it is the work of the holy spirit so and this is you know we're leading off with this and putting a lot of time into this first thing because the the fact that you have a bible sitting on your uh, your desk or your shelf or on your phone or whatever. And those those very words, that's God's breath. In other words, that's the Holy Spirit displayed on paper and and we get to interact with it. It's amazing. Um, so with that, we'll, we'll move on to um, another one. Uh, you know, we Acts 2, he's he's a gift. Um, you know, we, there's, there's all kinds of scriptures that just speak of him in positive. He's a helper. He's a gift. Um, he's an aid, you know, things that are, that are clearly good. Um, another one that's, that's really important is our embodying of him. If you look in, um, Ephesians, I'm just going to go over there because I want to, want to read the scripture, but, um, in Ephesians chapter one, he says, Paul is is writing to these Christians about all these blessings that we share in Jesus Christ. He says, in, uh, in him, this is in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So having the Spirit within us versus not having the spirit is the difference of, of being guaranteed eternal life and not being guaranteed eternal life. When, when God looks down that again, this, this idea of a seal, it's like, this is God's mark. This is God's stamp, God's impression on a person wherein he looks and he says, that person's mine. They, they belong to me. I see my name on them. I mean, it's, it's it's like it's a declaration from God and an official, uh, you know, it's a it's an official statement that says you're going to have eternal life. There yeah, is an like inheritance, it. and it's promised. 
Yeah, exactly. I like the, uh, you know, my Bible has a little footnote with guarantee the idea of a down payment, you know, the, the idea that the spirit is something that God is, you know, for, for, for the Christian, for the person in Christ. And I think that's so formative of our view of him. He's the down payment. He's the start of something, not the end. He's the start of it, uh, of something that God is going to complete, uh, on that great day, you know, when all things are made right. And when we're fully, when we're, uh, you know, we could go on to Romans eight. I know we've got a couple of points on the outline here where, I mean, the spirit's presence, uh, is not just indicative of what's going to happen to us now. Uh, it's literally going to be the, you know, linchpin part of, you know, our waking up on that last day. And so again, I think it's just such powerful language in Ephesians to think that, yeah, that down payment, that seal, uh, something real, something not just abstract, a real something there uh, that God is marking you. There's so many Christians that struggle with assurance and and just have the question of, am I saved? I'm, I'm not sure. I hope when I die. And this is what you have to have faith in is the Holy Spirit. And then you kind of remove the question, well, how do I know then? Well, if you're baptized into Christ and you are remaining in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. But I like to pair this with Hebrews 10. I believe it's verse 14. It says he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, which is kind of an oxymoron. How can you be perfect if you're being made perfect? But it's your score before God is at the judgment. You're perfect. You're sinless as long as you are being sanctified. Like, so you have that assurance. And so as long yeah. as there's still something in your heart that is convicted of sin, that wants to grow, that wants to walk with God, even if you're doing it imperfectly, that's your sanctification. That's the seal of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Right. It's at the point where somebody goes, I don't care. I get to do what I want. Well, they're, they're not walking by the Spirit at all. That seal is gone. They don't have that. Any other time, you know you have the Spirit, and you know if you have the Spirit, you have the seal. You're saved. It's it's. Again, this doctrine of reassurance, so many Christians need that short up. Yeah, that's that's huge. I, I mean, that's why so many Christians, you know, <clears throat> they don't know how to forgive themselves. They don't they don't understand the depth of the grace of God. But so long as we're walking in the light, the payment, it's not like the payment of God paid for us at the point of baptism. And now it's I have to make the payment for the rest of the journey. Not it's. God's payment, which was the blood of Jesus Christ and is is now guaranteed by the presence of his Holy Spirit, that's your seal, that payment is constantly paid. It's it's totally paid. At the end, God can see, you know, the um, if God was an accountant, he sees the way the books are going to be at the very end, you know, when the business is, is finally um, closing up shop. The payment is completely made so long as we're remaining in his presence and walking with him and at least striving. I take great comfort. Romans 6 says the same thing about uh, you know sanctification being this ongoing perpetual process. It is be it, it is our being made holy. In fact, we'll, we'll look um in a little bit at um specifically I think some ways that the spirit does this. But I want to say something to this seal you know, you you get this idea of like you're um, you know, you're an official uh, piece of postage or or a a, a package or a, a container that has this stamp on you, and and that's what the spirit is. He's just this stamp. But there's a more ex explicit detail given in Romans eight as to why it is that he's a guarantee. Like how how exactly does that work? And it relates to our being sons of God. So in um, Romans 8, which is one of my 
if you're if you want a good passage to just study the Holy Spirit, this is it. Uh, the word spirit appears all the way through this. It's uh, it's huge and it's a super gratifying study. But um, he says, uh, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Well, in what 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 do you mean by that? You know, how does my being led by the Spirit make me a son of God? How how's that connection? Well, he describes it. He says for or because you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. Now, that's interesting. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, the only reason you are able to call God your father is because of the spirit of adoption, which is the Holy Spirit. Him coming into you is what makes you a son or a daughter of God. And it is by him that we have this privilege and this ability to cry out, Abba, Father. And then he says something interesting. He says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The the spirit isn't just talking to God. He is bearing witness with us in some way. Now, when I, I don't know if y'all have anything that you want to say, you know, there are, there are multiple ways that I believe that the spirit does this, but there has to be some test, a testimony and a bearing witness and, and our taking comfort in it means nothing if it can't be perceived at all. Right. Like th- this, what he's saying is the spirit has to be his testimony to us has to be perceived in some way. And specifically in the context, he says it is by the spirit that we cry out to God as, as father. I, I think that that's a big part of what that testimony is, is us calling is, is, is the fact that you in your person would refer to God as your father and would call him your father and would reach out to him in that capacity. That's a part of that testimony that is only through the Holy Spirit. So you guys want to add anything to that? It's an interesting passage in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, where Paul says, you know, therefore, I, I tell you that nobody speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. The only way that someone can say Jesus is Lord uh, is through the spirit. And again, we, we can get into a lot of different things. Jesus says, not all who says to me, say to me, Lord, Lord, uh, you know, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So, so there's something going on there. But I think what Paul says is even our ability to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus um, and, and to understand these things uh, is is nothing that that we uh, can in, intuit and truly come in, in in contact with by ourselves. You know, it's all by the Spirit's hand. And so, um, like you're saying, the same thing with Romans eight. We we only truly perceive that adoption um, and and truly you know understand our place as sons through what the Spirit reveals and and what he's he's doing for us. Yeah, I. I so I, let me make my my case a little more exegetically solid. So I um, I don't know how clearly I I put that out there. the The spirit he says um, bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. He's he's making a case that the Holy Spirit is telling us, "You are sons of God." 
The spirit isn't the spirit communicates with God all the time, but this is actually a communication with us. Okay. And I'm and my question when I was studying through this is in what way is the spirit bearing witness with me? How can I even perceive that? And in the immediate context, as well as another where Paul speaks of this elsewhere, and I'll, and we'll look at that in a moment, he's he indicates that it's just the very um uh, action of crying out to God as father. You know, there's some people that perceive of God as cold, distant, stoic. They they don't see him as this father in in whom you know with whom they have this intimate relationship that they they love him and they long for him and they draw into his presence. And if they're scared, they're crying out father. If they're in need of help, they're crying out father. They relate to him in that way. The very action of that is only because of the Holy Spirit. You can't do that without him. And I'll give you another scripture <clears throat> that um where he says this, he's in um, Galatians four. Um, he he says that you know we've been re- redeemed. Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Same same language, and he says, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, "Abba, Father." In this passage, who is it that's crying out, Abba, Father? The Spirit of God's Son. That I, I don't see any. Um, I, I don't know. Do you guys have any? Does Does my point make sense? Of it does. I think it builds on the verse uh, up ahead where it says, "All uh, who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God." And so it's. You're being led by the spirit. That's the confirmation that you're the son. Then as the son, as sons of God, then that's where we cry out to him with the Abba father. And so it's kind of this cascading thing that when you go back to the top is, okay, how do I know? How am I at that point? Well, if I'm being led by the spirit and so many people say, well, what does that mean? And I'm going to blend this into some of our other points. I think it's because we've butchered two analogies. The New Testament uses to mean things they don't mean. And so we talk about walking in the light. You brought that one up a minute ago. When we say that, a lot of people think that means not sinning. If I'm not sinning, I'm walking in the light. Well, what does John say right in that context? If we say we don't have sin, we're deceiving ourselves. It's confession of sin. It's saying, look, I don't want to do this. And so when I do, I'm going to own up to it and move on and repent and put it behind me. That's what walking in the light is, a continual, I want to be right with God. I want to be right with God. I'm not going to be perfect, but I want to be right with God. If you're doing that, you're being led by the spirit of God. Therefore, you're a son of God. The other one is bearing fruit, which we're about to get to. Like I said, I'm going to skip ahead a bit. Galatians 5, bearing fruit. This, more than almost any New Testament concept, has been butchered to pieces. Because you'll hear sermon series or the the Wednesday night summer series of, let's talk about the fruit of the spirit. All right, that means to be more loving. Try to have more patience. Try to be more joyful. It doesn't mean try. It means submit. And this is what's going to fruit isn't something you staple to the tree. I've used this analogy a bunch of times. So some people have probably heard me use it. You don't take a bag of apples and staple them to the apple tree. It comes from within the tree itself. And so the fruit of the spirit is if you have the spirit within, you're not going to be a perfect person on day one. But a year later, you're going to be more self-controlled, more joyful, more peaceful, more. And so if somebody has been going to church for 10 years and they're still the meanest dude you've ever met yeah they don't have the spirit therefore they're not a son of god therefore they're not crying out abba father they're not walking in the light like that as i was saying it all cascades from there 
of you just go back to if you're led by the spirit of God, you are a son of God. And here's how, you know, and if you are, then you can cry out to God. I, does that all kind of fit together the way I think it does? Or am I just going no, in circles here? It absolutely does. You, you will know them by their fruit and there it's impossible to be filled with God's spirit and to not bear fruit. It, it just, it doesn't work. The, the spirit is too powerful. And, um, I've, you know, this is one of those things that's, uh, it's, it's anecdotal. It's, it's biblical as well as anecdotal in that I've seen this happen so many times in persons, for example, just a basic testimony who come into Jesus Christ and after being baptized, they'll say something like, you know, up until last week, I was cussing like a sailor and I couldn't stop. Now I have no desire to. I'm repulsed by the word. This is a literal quote from someone who who not who, a few months ago we baptized here at the church. There was like in a in immediate um, a repulsing of these kinds of words and a desire to speak in a more wholesome way. There, there's still a, you know a huge foundation, a huge learning curve that has to come. There's still you know in a you know unawareness of other kinds of sins that that are farther down the line that haven't been rooted out. But there's this immediate desire to change and a loving and a longing for a more peaceful, gracious kind of speech than what was there before. Right. I, I just think we we write that off. We 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 don't give the spirit enough credit for all that he does. It's not a person if a person could, by their own willpower and by their own ability, sanctify themselves, we wouldn't need the Spirit, nor would we have needed the cross, right? Like we we need Him. He's doing things within us that we literally can't do. In Romans two, Paul says, you know, the law um, can can get you to cut off a part of your body, and and be circumcised. But it's only the spirit who can circumcise your heart. Like no surgeon can go in there and do that. This is he's doing things within us through our submission and our faith that we otherwise couldn't do. And yeah, and I think oh, go ahead. Well, and if there's and if none of that's happening, if if we're not being changed, we have to question, as Jack was saying, am I filled with the spirit or not. Paul even says in Romans, you know, in Romans eight, he says, you know, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. And so he puts that condition there that that Greek word, if is there to say, this is a possibility that he's not. And maybe you think that he is, but there should be evidence. Yeah. It's interesting that some people view it as so nebulous, you know, like, well, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I mean, it, it's the objective reality of it draws us back to the to the fig tree that Jesus curses and it withers on the spot. You know, either we're bearing fruit or we're not. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I I look at the 50 year pew sitter Christian who is no different than they were the first time they came in the door uh, and tremble. Right. It's a scary thing, not trying to judge people's hearts. You don't know. Uh, some Sometimes, you know, you, you can't see all the fruit. But at the same time, I think there's definitely a standard there. Um, you know, as we go back to Romans chapter eight, I just want to draw out because I just think it's such a powerful point that, again, because resurrection has been so um, maybe underemphasized in the church, I think it's important to draw out this passage. Um, you know, going back to Romans chapter eight and verse nine says you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, 
Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the passage for me that makes the question of whether the spirit is in me or not suddenly very, very important because the Bible says, if I'm going to be raised from the dead and note the, the language there, it says the spirit who dwells in you, who he, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Now, Romans in particular, when it talks about death and spiritual death and sin and spiritual resurrection, there's there's different things throughout the context of, of the, the book. But look at that verse. The yeah. spirit within you will give life to your mortal bodies. What body is he talking about? I only have one mortal body. It's this one. And right. if that's the body that God is going to raise from the dead, we can't go make it more explicit than what Paul says here is that the work of the spirit within you will be raising you up from the grave because he's the one that raised Jesus up from the grave. We talked about last episode in Romans one, where it said God raised Jesus by the power of the Holy spirit. And so if resurrection is important, the spirit is majorly important. I think this is one of those where with the Calvinists, we we like overreact to bad doctrine because they're like, Oh, you're just totally dead. You couldn't do anything. You couldn't even respond to the gospel without him choosing you and making you do it. That's wrong. But, we also have to accept our inability of man. You don't have a whole lot in you to be good. And it is the stapling fruit to the tree thing of try really hard for a while. You're not very good at it. We're not very good at becoming like Christ. I mean that the goal of this isn't to be a nice person. So you can go to heaven. He wants to make us into Romans eight conform to the image of his son. That's his purpose for us. We don't have any ability to do that. We're going to need a power that is really strong, maybe one that's strong enough to raise somebody from the dead. And, yeah, and I'm, that's exactly what he exactly says. Right. I'm going to well, you talk, Daniel, because I'm going to be very brief. I'm just going to say it goes back to that ability. No matter how good you are, no matter how godly you become, you can't raise yourself from the dead. You can't do it. In no amount of good ethics or morals or whatever you call it, you don't have the power to raise yourself if you die. That sin in you that's caused the death, you can't, right. you can't stop them. Well, and, you, and we don't have the power... I can, I can, I have the power to make a decision to say, okay, I'm going to not go into this room or I'm going to stay out of this room. I don't have the power to remove the cancer of sin from my heart. That is totally and completely a thing of the spirit of God. And the way the, the analogy that I like to use is imagine that you had a bottle of water that was, um, fi- that was filled with mud. Like you took a chunk of mud and shook it up and the water, the water's all brown now. Me trying to remove sin from my life is like somebody saying, keep all the water there and buy and reach in and pull out all the dirt. You, you literally can't do that. But one thing that you can do is you can submit yourself to the spirit of God. And he's now this water hose that's pouring into that bottle. And as more and more of him is poured in, uh, more of the the dirty, muddy water comes out. That That's really the way that it works. It's it's submission and then the spirit is actively at work. I can submit to him and say, fill me, be filled more with me. I mean, Paul even says in Ephesians um, uh, Ephesians 5 or Ephesians 4, you know, he says, um, uh, no, it's Ephesians 5, 19, you know, right around there. He says, don't be drunk with wine, 
but be filled with the spirit. He says to the Corinthians that we were all made to drink of one spirit. And as you're talking about resurrection, this is the precursor to this. It, when I, I did a lesson um, a few months ago on what the spirit does now and what the spirit will do later. And that in that very passage you were reading a moment ago, Titus, uh, you know, he's, he's saying the spirit will raise you, but notice what he says in, um, and, and our English translations really confuse us here because in verse 10, he says, if Christ is in you, and then he makes a contrast. He says, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. I don't know about your Bible, but mine puts a capital S there. The, the, the Holy Spirit is life because of righteousness. Guys, within the Greek language, there's no differentiation between lowercase and capital letters. Context always bears it out. But Paul's making a contrast in you, and he's saying there's, there's something right now. Your body is dead, but your spirit is alive. The spirit has been made alive by the Holy Spirit. And when you think about the way that the curse happened— the, the soul died first, which led to the body dying. When God's going to fix all of this, he's going to begin by restoring the soul, and then the body will come to life later. It has to be in that order. So the spirit right now resurrects our spirit, okay? It's not just bodily. It's, it's a resurrection of the spirit. And Paul makes the same exact point in Ephesians 2 when he's talking about, he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God has made you alive together with Christ and has raised you up and seated you with him at the right hand. The spirit, your spirit, has literally been brought back to life, whereas before it was dead. And the evidence of that is the fruit of the spirit. Right. Yeah, that's how you know your body is going to be raised is because your spirit already has been, as, as we kind of talked about with the seal. Uh we're going to run out of time. And so I'm going to hit you know, some of these kind of run together of love and self-control and the fruit of the spirit. We talked about one really big one that gets overlooked so much is in John 16, that the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is going to come and he's going to convict the world of sin. Uh, I just did an apologetics episode uh, for Think Deeper. And we, we talked about like, it's not argumentation that wins people over. It's confronting them with the realization of you're not God. And you need to repent before the one who is. And it's the Holy Spirit who does that work on their hearts. And you see this in the Old Testament when Pharaoh's heart was hardened. That's exactly what happens when, when God comes to somebody's life. They will either be hardened and turn themselves against it in their pride, or they'll be convicted. As, as we see in Acts 2, they were cut to the quick. They think, what well, we got to do something about this. That's the Holy Spirit at work. And so when we go out in evangelism, it's very scary to confront somebody with these uncomfortable truths we want to keep everybody comfortable keep everybody feeling good all the time now you got to kind of make them uncomfortable let the holy spirit do the work and their response is going to be their response whether it's hardening or softening but it's the holy spirit who does that work and when when we're so hesitant with evangelism sometimes i think it's we don't trust that the spirit is at work in our evangelism yeah exactly mm -hmm. right well, as, we right, move, so as we move you go ahead oh go ahead 
I was just going to say, as we move, and you know, there's so many things we could talk about with the intercession and prayer, um, you know, the actual strength that he gives us, you know, that what we can, we're actually drawing something. Again, the question is, does the what does the Holy Spirit do? If the answer is nothing, uh, your theology is probably not very biblical. If the answer is something, well, we can go into all of these various things. Daniel, did you have uh, any more that you wanted to hit really quick before we move on? Yeah. So we're going to talk about how we've shortchanged or why we've shortchanged him in just a sec. But there is one other that I think is, this is one of the most comforting on a personal level for me. And I think it probably will be for others as well. In, um, again, in Romans eight. So there's so much in Romans eight, go study Romans eight. We, we just don't have the time to get into every single detail here, but Paul, Paul specifies, um, that given the nature of a fallen world, that the reality of it is that it can be summarized as groaning. He says, you know, the creation itself, he says, he says in uh, Romans 8, 22, the whole creation has been groaning together. This is the physical broader creation. And then he says, even, even we ourselves groan inwardly, Christians groan, the creation groans, the curse has made all of it to groan. But then he says, in verse 26, he uses this word. He says, likewise, um, which is interesting. He's The Spirit's going to relate somehow in this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Guys, three times in this context, he uses the exact same word for groaning. The whole creation groans, you and I groan, and then he says the spirit actually groans. And what he's doing, why why is he groaning? Because he's he is within you fully experiencing what it is that you're trying to convey, this feeling of suffering and the hardships and the difficulties of it that you can't even articulate. He says he brings them before the throne of God with groanings too deep for words. The spirit himself understands this. You know, you, so many have a theology of, of God that conceives him, of him as so far off. He, he doesn't understand exactly what I'm. No, if you have the spirit within you, he understands better than you do. Because he's actually able to articulate it before the throne of God with, you know, these groanings that you couldn't even put into words, he can, and he does. So to me, that's one of the most comforting passages in the Bible is God knows exactly. I, if I can't convey it, God already knows and, and I'll try, but the spirit is already doing it. So let's move on to. I want to just um, cap all that oh, whole ahead. discussion with one very 10 second point here. We just spent 40 minutes on what the Holy Spirit does without saying anything about miracles, without yeah. saying he whispers something in your ear or makes you feel fuzzy or something like that. You right. don't have to go weird to say the Holy Spirit does something. All of that was grounded in scripture. All of that is stuff the Holy Spirit legitimately does and you can expect and you can count on yeah. without going charismatic. This transitions into our next point of why we've downplayed the Spirit. We are afraid. We are reactionary towards overdoing it, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, the the whole it's interesting. You know, Francis Schaeffer said orthodoxy always becomes dead orthodoxy and dead orthodoxy always becomes heterodoxy. Well, if you look back in our history to, you know, the early 1900s, late 1800s, the Pentecostal holiness movement, 
a lot of the, the function of broader Christianity was a dead orthodoxy. Theological liberalism out of Germany had just stripped it down to just nothing, or people were just living on bare tradition and the church, you know, Christian churches were just, they were just dead. You know, they were following rules and whatever, but the spirit really wasn't there. And so then, okay, well, heterodoxy comes. And so you have these people that are trying to say, well, you know, we need to have evidence of the Holy Spirit. We need to um, be able to somehow prove it. And so the Pentecostal holiness movement is kind of looking for a way to verify it and to show it and to prove it. And so they, again, they kind of missed it because they start looking for ways to manifest the spirit outwardly. You have to be speaking in tongues or you don't know that you have the spirit. Again, that's that's missing it. And, and I think that what we've done is we've looked at those guys that missed it in that way. And we've re- we've reacted. We have a reactive theology. It's like, oh, you guys are Holy Spirit. Well, we don't talk about him at all. We we do nothing. Part of the reason why we shortchange is is exactly what you said. It's been it's been reactive, but also we just the framework by which we live is very naturalistic. If you go over to Africa, they don't have any problem talking about the spiritual realm and the way that it's working. People go to witch yeah. doctors. They they believe that demons exist and they see the workings of demons and and whatever else. But we we just if it can't be put in a test tube, we just really have a hard time with it. Which naturalism, I think, is one of the huge reasons we don't accept this. Which we have to understand as a church, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, yeah, I think that, and I'm, I don't want to be controversial here in the way that I say this. Um, I think because of, uh, as the church, the church of Christ, what we are, our desire to, to cling to the Bible and to, um, really study the scriptures, to have backing for everything that we do authorization for everything that we do, um, which is born great fruit and great success and salvation, um, through, through the spirit, you know, by God, but on the far end of the pool, the dangerous side you what you have is a christian in, in in the understanding of this is really an uber logical naturalist which is you know i and like you're saying unless i can perceive it uh, and quantify it unless i can use the law of scientific you know expression to uh, or the scientific process the scientific method there it is I, I finally found it the scientific method to understand this then it's not real uh, and part of the reason the spirit i think gets shortchanged is because the bible says he does all these things and then someone looks across the aisle at the Pentecostal person. Well, maybe not across the aisle, but across the street. Um, they look across the street at them and they say, well, I just can't perceive him the way they're claiming to. And so it must not be true. It must not be true that he's really even there in that sense, because I can't perceive it. I, I want to draw our attention to something in First Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17, David's talking to Saul about why he's so confident that he can defeat Goliath with God's help. And, uh, and David says, in verse 34 of 1 Samuel 17, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, uh, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Here's my point. David, when he's out in the field, he's he, he is not a person that sees the lion and the bear coming. He sits here like this and goes, God, 
deliver me from the lion or the bear. David goes and grabs it by the beard and strikes it and slays it. I mean, he is he's an agent. He's working in that. And yet David says, God delivered me from this. And here's what I mean by all of it. We have to give room for the fact that God is working in ways that we can't always perceive. And just as we would say that the spirit is the the scripture is the work of the spirit, the scripture is what tells us, hey, there's stuff going on that you're not catching all of it with your senses. You're not perceiving all of this, but that doesn't mean it's not true. We have to give room like David did to say, you know, with free will, with the fact that I am making decisions, with the fact that I am doing things, that doesn't undercut the fact that it's all God, all the good comes from God. If it's good, it's God's work. It's not mine. Right. And his deliverance um, is something that we just have to expand our view on beyond just the things that I can see and the things that I can seemingly control, because God's doing so much more than that for us. That's well, a brilliant who, who, point. And uh, there's just a little phrase in the book of Acts where Paul, you know, Luke is recording of, you know, they they went here, they want to preach there. And well, the Holy Spirit said they couldn't go here. So we went somewhere else. And it's exactly what you're saying. You just go and do what you, you think is right. And, and he's going to drive things. He's going to shut some doors and go, OK, now go this way. I'm going to open another door for you. Just work on the principles you have and then let him do his work in the background. And, you know, he he's not out front and visible, but he's, he's working all the time. And so, man, that, that I really like that point a lot. Yeah. I'm we're, we're expected to do something like, but who's giving the power to do it? Who, who, who's giving life to your body? Who's, who's giving, you know, the capacity to do anything to begin with. That's, that's from God. And the reason why I think we have such a hard time with this is because, I think we have an unbiblical understanding of free will. Um, I mean, we could probably have an entire episode just on that point, but it, we think that, oh, if, if the power is from the spirit or if he is changing my heart, then that's not me doing it because we've bought so into this idea that if anything's to be done, it's going to be done totally by me. And the power comes from God. Paul told Timothy when, when he was timid and when he was not wanting to confront false teachers, he told Timothy, he said, the spirit you've been given is not one of fear and timidity, but one of power and love and self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. To be able to control your vessel in righteous ways for God is a fruit that can only come from the spirit. You, you could be an ascetic. Or you could be a monk apart from the spirit, but that really has no power in in stopping the you know the indulgences and the gratifying of the flesh. The things we are called to accomplish, we're in submission to it. We do put our own hand out to do it, but the empowering of it that comes from God. Yeah. And without yeah. the spirit, we we wouldn't be able to do it. I think it goes back to again whether it be the Trinity episode before this, the one that we're talking about now. How big is your picture of God? What, what do you really think he's involved with? How much do you think you rely on him? My mind goes to Hebrews chapter one, where it's talking about Jesus. And it says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Lots of scientists out there can explain to you all the ins and outs of the various systems and the things that go on. And this happens this way. And this is why we have this. And this is why this happens in nature. The Bible says there wouldn't be a day on this earth if not for the power of Jesus's word upholding it. 
Um, and until we as Christians jettison this naturalist worldview into the sun, listen, we're coming out of the, the you know the 20th century. We're in the 21st century. There, there has to be a lot of soul searching when it comes to the, the work of the spirit, when it comes to all of this, not to dumb ourselves down, not to say, hey, science is, is totally irrelevant. Science is a tool. Logic is a tool. Uh, epistemology is a tool, all of these things. But we ourselves have to look and say, what does the Bible say about this? And if we're underselling God, whether it be the work of the spirit, whether it be the fact that the world is upheld by the power of Jesus, we, we've got to do what we can to uh, let the spirit through the word and through, through, you know, sanctification excise this from our brains. Cause it's just run so rampant. Yeah. Um, how, are we, are we pretty much out of time here? I, we're pretty much, you got a minute if you want to get a point okay. in here. Well, just, just as just a few very basic points of instruction, what should we do going forward? Um, basic, the basic thing is get filled up with the spirit. Uh, Paul says this, you're either filled up with the world or you're filled up with the spirit of God. You're either filled up with alcohol or you're filled up with the spirit of God. You know, Ephesians 5, he makes this contrast. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the spirit. He gives some ways to do this. You know, singing, um, um, singing to one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, um, giving thanks, you know, thinking about all the things that we have that are from God, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He gives five participles that kind of describe how to do that. But we do, we need to be people that are filling up on the spirit. And as we're filling up with the spirit, um, don't grieve him, right? Paul, Paul says this, don't grieve the spirit. As he's filling us up and changing our minds and changing the way we think, don't push against the prodding of the spirit that is now within you because you've filled your life with him. Don't, don't push against it. And the big way is be, you know, be sexually pure. You know, Paul told the Corinthians, he says, you know, any sin that anybody commits, most sins are outside of their body. Sexually impure person sins against their own body. That's a sin against the spirit himself who's within you. So be sexually, be filled with the spirit. Don't grieve him. Be sexually pure. And listen to that voice. You, you know, your conscience is going to be um, constantly reordered and is going to be further and further sanctified by him. So, um, you know, he's he's a gift. And as much as we wouldn't take our little children into some of the sinful environments where we go, we shouldn't be taking the Holy Spirit into these places either. Live purely. Know he's within you and let him guide how you operate. Yeah, for sure. I, just one last point I'd like to make is, um, you know, you look at Ephesians four and, and verse three, Paul says there, you are joined together with peace through the spirit. So make every effort to continue together in this way. I just want to say, you know, a lot of times, again, of course, the spirit is speaking to us through his word. Um, let that speaking draw you closer to other Christians. You know, if you're saying, well, my interaction with the spirit is I read the Bible by myself privately every morning, you know, before I go up for my day and it's just kind of me and my Bible and that's my spirituality. That's great. Read, read your Bible. We all must be doing that. But the spirit is going to lead us to other Christians. He's going to unite us with other Christians. And so when I think about the singing you're talking about, when I think about studying the Bible in a group, when I think about spiritual discussions, which I think are so huge, you know, after church on Sunday, Wait a minute. Talk about football. Talk about the sermon for just a minute. You know, yeah. get that fellowship. That's that work of the spirit. Don't be an insulated uh, 
Christian who kind of has the spirit and it's just leading you to the cloister up by yourself. The spirit's going to push you, you know, through, through everything we see in the world, through the, through the singing, it's going to bring us together. Lean into that. We got to lean into that. Yeah. I think that's both great points. Um, I want to clarify real quick, just in case somebody gets any confusion. When, when Daniel says, listen to the voice of the spirit, we are not talking about a field of dreams. You hear a, a whisper from above, you know, kind of thing. It is the guidance we talked about. It is the the changed conscience of, oh, I shouldn't do this. I should do this other thing. I'm a Christian. I don't act this way anymore. That's what we're talking about. Uh, the other one. But, it, but, but I do. I, I do want to say, because I, I know you're giving clarity to what I said, but as we're filled up with the actual spirit of God, he, again, he's not going to say, hey, turn left here. Don't turn. But he is changing your heart, actually. And right, that right. voice should be heard, not audibly, but. It, through submission, it really is. And I don't want to downplay it because I think that, you know, to the point you're making, I think that that's kind of been pushed out for fear of sounding charismatic. He, yeah. I, I mean, voice right? is, is a is a term people get squishy about because it is, you know, voice means audible. Like it, you're going to hear something. I would just say the influence. I mean, when that influence comes into your heart of it's very clearly not me. This is from above. This is a a being it's a push in a different direction. It's a. I don't know. It's one of these that people get so me, uncomfortable voice, with the, right? uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, people get so uncomfortable because of the misuse of, you know, we all have that friend that's like, God told me to, well, right. he did because it's in his word or, or whatever, but God put it on my heart. I don't know, whatever. I just want to, you know, let people know what we are and we aren't saying, but you're right. We get to the point where we can box it into a corner to what doesn't mean anything. There's something happening there. However you are comfortable framing it, you you know, we'll we'll leave that to people for themselves. I think yeah. you also hit on something super important in the last 30 seconds we have here about the sexual immorality. Pornography is crippling the church. It's over 50% of the men and you you follow that back of pornography is a sin against the your body which is the temple of the holy spirit it's defiling the spirit's temple. It is quenching the spirit within. It is limiting the work that he can do on you. That's step number one on on empowering the church is root that out right now. And so that that's such a big one. Everything that you guys just said, I, I agree with uh, and uh, interested to hear comments on this one. Uh, Holy Spirit is one that, man, there's just not enough out there on it. In fact, I got a message uh, the other day when the episode came out saying I'm looking forward to this because nobody talks about the spirit enough. And so hopefully we really gave you some some solid footing here and uh uh, we'll be back next week. I'm not quite sure what the topic is yet. Titus is, is going to be driving the ship. And so we'll uh, we'll see what he's got up his sleeve. And we'll talk to everybody next week. 